Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. Check us out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. You'll be able to uh, follow all of my uh, isolation new watches that I don't review on the main site. Um, it's been a pretty busy month plus since... Uh, the movie theater closed, but um, it's it's been an interesting month to uh, say the least as far as the different types of movies I've been watching. That's uh, patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. Today I am joined by a fellow film enthusiast and film critic. Uh, he is um, known on Twitter as Kevin the Critic and... Uh, I'm pleased to be joined with him today. We're just going to talk about uh, just talk about film in general. Just talk about some different ideas when it comes to film. And uh, please welcome to the show Kevin Thomas. Thank you very much for joining me. Hi, hello. Uh, thank first off, uh, thank you very much for having me on, Brian. Oh no problem. Uh, I this this is something that I actually. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to uh I definitely want to get um more people that I'm in I I'm know and am familiar with online uh primarily on this podcast. I there there are plenty of people that I enjoy uh following on Twitter and uh Facebook, whether filmmakers or not, who I just enjoy uh talking to uh movies about and so I'm looking forward to this. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what got you interested in writing about films? First of all, where can people find you uh, writing about films? Okay, uh, people can find me on. I have a what? I have a website. Uh, it's kevinthecritic.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, and as far as how I got started in it. I've I've loved I've loved films since I was a little kid. You know, when other when other kids were playing outside, or you know, when other kids were playing outside in the cul-de-sac, I was you know inside inside watching movies, playing with you know action figures from cartoons I would watch, you know, all that. And then when I was ten years old. My local paper was ran an ad asking for a kid to send in a review of a movie. I had just seen uh, the first Madagascar, and my mom suggested that I write a review of it, and okay. that I write a review of it and send it in, which I I sent it in, and they like and they liked it. They liked it. Asked me to come in, and by the end of it. They asked me if I wanted to be like the kid movie reviewer for them. Okay, all right. That that's that's actually kind of interesting because of the fact that um, I started. It, I actually sort of. I didn't start exactly the same way, but um, the AJ, the Atlanta Journal and Constitution, uh, around ninety five, ninety six or so. Uh, ran like you be the critic, where like people could readers could write in about newer movies and stuff like that, 
And mm-hmm. uh, I, I started writing in those, and I finally started to get some published. And I got I got several published over the uh, next few years before they discontinued it. And so that that's what sort of it gave me the itch to write about film for myself and just be interested in uh, in in studying film more closely and uh, just writing about it. I was even even at that point, I was more interested in terms of I was still kind of more interested in making it. I I wanted to do film music. Uh <laughs> at that point, but eventually it basically became uh, writing about films basically became more than just a hobby and really, I mean, it's still more or less a hobby. It's not my full-time job, but it's also, but it's something that's more uh, that drives me more than uh, the creative process of uh, film, than wanting to do films myself. So yeah, that that's actually kind of interesting to hear sort of how how that started for you, and it sort of mirrors in a way how uh, I got started writing about films. Uh, was yeah. was that um, was that basically sort of where you started to uh, look at films with a more critical eye? I I would say I would say like the. Like if you go back and read my earlier reviews, like they're of course like they're written by a ten year old, so they're not as like they're not as like analytical or they're not like as analytical as my ones would be now. Because again, like ten like I was a ten year old, but something that I know I think I think the first I think the first film that I reviewed where I started to realize how much, you know, how much power movies could have was Peter Jackson's King Kong, mm-hmm. which like, I, I still laugh about it to the day that like my, that my mom even let me and my sister see that movie because it's three hours and PG 13 and there's like deaths and, you know, it was like, deaths and monsters everywhere and cursing and all. But yeah, like I, I remember going, like I'd never seen any other version of King Kong before. So that was my first one. Mm-hmm. I went into it, you know, I was interested in it because giant monkeys and dinosaurs and that Nacho Libre guy is in it and I like him. Let's go. And when I came out of it, it was like, I don't know, I'd never, I'd never seen something like that before. Mm-hmm. And it was, I, yeah. So I think that was probably when I started thinking a little bit deeper about like what movies can, like what movies can do. And you know, from that, I started realize I started like as I got older, I started going back and rewatching some like old childhood favorites, uh, just like from an older perspective. And I realized, man, some of these are really good. Mm-hmm. Like so much better than I realized they were when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, for example, like there's a in 2003, Universal released a live action Peter Pan, which was buried because Return of the King came out and everybody saw that instead. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was as a kid, I was never really into the animated Peter Pan very much. I mean, 
I couldn't really put my finger up, but it it wasn't really one of my it really wasn't one of my personal favorite Disney things. But when I saw the live action version of it, as a kid, I was like, "This is really cool. I like to fight it." I I, I realized I don't know. I couldn't figure out why I really liked it when I was like seven, but I just knew that I did. And as I went back and watched it when I was older, I realized that the reasons why I liked it were that. Like, it made Captain Hook scary, for one thing. Like, it gave, mm-hmm. like, yeah, like, that's something, yeah, like, I've always liked it in movies when you have a villain who is actually, like, scary or intimidating to your hero or heroine, like, if a, if a villain is present in it. Mm-hmm. And that was one. And that was one of the things about that. Where I was like, I have never been. I was never scared of Captain Hook as a kid at all. I was like, I mean, he's funny and he's goofy, but he's not a threat. Right. And Jason Isaacs is like, uh, yeah, you guys can make a kids movie if you, if you want, but I'm gonna have you know bloody murder in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, and that. And when it comes to King Kong, I mean that's that's a movie. It's it's fascinating for me. I you know it's like I'm I'm consider I'm I I'm so much older than so many of the people on Twitter that are talking about films and follow. I you know I I pay attention to when it comes to films, but it's like seeing seeing the I will say seeing the love for Peter Jackson's. King Kong that you see on there is really reassuring because it really is. I, I didn't, you know, it was a movie that was, I, I definitely felt the length when it came out in 2005, but yeah. there was the spectacle of it in the way he, and I had seen the original King Kong by that point, but there were things about what Peter Jackson did in that movie. That's just so, it it really adapts the story for King Kong in a new contemporary way, in a way that we hadn't seen from Godzilla yet. Yeah. And that was that was one of the things that was uh so striking and the fact that you had Andy Circus play Kong and the fact that there's that dynamic between he and Naomi Watts in the Faye Ray role that's yeah. just remarkable. She's... Yeah, and she like, and that was, like, when I, I was really like drawn, I was really drawn in by it, like even like even at a young age, and I again I sat there thinking, why am I really into this? Like I've never Mm -hmm. seen something like because again like I grew up on you know, like Disney movies and stuff like that. Nothing, I mean. You know, like my parents would preview stuff before I could watch it and all, but yeah. So this was, th- it was mind blowing to me. And as an adult, I really appreciate the fact that he's able to deliver all of the amazing, like spectacle and B movie craziness that it, it is inherent in King Kong as a premise. But he also grounds it. He also grounds it in like you know human emotion and characters and themes and everything yeah yeah and and that that was one of those things where it's like yeah it it feels to a certain extent it's still it 
it's it was weird seeing it because it was it was a fulfillment for him because he had wanted to make King Kong before Lord of the Rings, oh. but because of what happened, because of the fact that the Frighteners fell through Ooh. and Mighty or didn't do well, and Mighty Joe Young for Disney didn't. Do oh well, man, that's an, were, another one of my favorite ones. They, they he basically ended up putting it on the back burner and ended up doing Lord of the Rings instead. And so then, obviously, once Lord of the Rings is the biggest franchise ever, ever in the world, he's like, "Oh yeah, you're you can do where you want. You we'll you can make your giant you want to make King Kong. You now. can make your giant <laughs> monkey movie now. We'll just we'll just bang for you. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's funny that you like. I didn't know that Mighty Joe Young bombed when it came out. Like that's yeah. That's one of my personal like favorite Disney things. Because it's not again like I think it's one of those things of like you get completely different experiences out of it when you're a kid versus when you're an adult. Yeah. And both of them are good. Like when I was a kid, I was, you know, I was like I enjoyed the you know, I was found the romance boring. And I'm like, yeah, he's destroying the pier and all the amusement parks and all this. Like I enjoy the action and the humor of it. And when I was an adult, I'm like this is the dark kids movie. <laughs> uh, we're gonna open with uh, poachers killing the little Jill's mom. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, but again, like, I, I like the fact that it in I, I like the fact that it respects kids' intelligence in terms of like what and like what they can take. It doesn't have. It doesn't have like the wacky sound effects that some '90s Disney things mm-hmm. did and yeah you know, i don't know it just feels like it was made by people who were really passionate about it and didn't they were like look we're gonna do this right yeah. we're not just gonna do it like oh we need something you know charlie staring is hot right now and you know whatever they they actually put real work into it mm-hmm. and i admired that yeah i mean and that's that's one of the things that i that's one of the things that i've noticed about like when I've, when I go back as an adult watching movies that I enjoyed as a kid I mean some of them don't hold up admittedly yeah, yeah at some the are. same time like I I see you know I watch the Goonies now it's like I enjoyed the sense of adventure growing up as a kid and it's like I still enjoy it more I still enjoy that as a as an adult but what I enjoy more is the bond between those characters mm-hmm. I mean I think the the Goonies is something that I, I saw the Goonies. I think when I was like twelve or thirteen, mm-hmm. and I didn't. And at that time, I mean, I I, I under like I understood it, and I you know I, I think that I I what I didn't love it when I saw it the first time, but I've slowly kind of grown an appreciation mm-hmm. for it as the years have gone by. Yeah, and it's also fun, however. In all my viewings, I enjoyed Josh Brolin playing the older, playing his older brother. Yeah, that, that he was he was fun in that. Well, he's also he, it's also weird to see him so young. I'm so used to seeing him as an adult. Yeah, like, so it, it's so old. As a kid. It, yeah, I mean, like, he's I, not a kid; he's a teenager. But but, but yeah, he's younger. I, I think the first time I ever saw Josh Brolin was in uh, Wall Street: Money Never Sleeps. Oh, okay. And I saw him in that, and I said, 
hey, you know, I want to see I what else has this guy done? Because he's one of the best parts of this movie. <laughs> Um, and I, I do like, and I, I do like the movie. It, it's a, I, I keep, I flip back and forth on whether or not I can buy Shia LaBeouf as a, as a Wall Street analyst. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, that's, that's not like a dig on him. Like, I think he does, I can't really picture anybody else playing that, but mm-hmm. it is interesting to watch it in the context of like this kid who's been on Even Stevens and the Transformers movies. And now he's an adult in a business suit, and it's like there's a little bit of a of an adjustment period if you if you grew up watching him. Are there any uh, particular filmmakers that you've gravitated towards? Uh, yeah, you watch films. Yes, uh, I'm. I have always been a huge fan of Tim Burton, for okay. one, uh, and the reason I've. I own most. Of, I own most of his films, like the li- the live action ones. And the reason why I've gravitated toward him is I like the fact that he he almost always explores like movies about movies about underdogs mm-hmm. to varying degrees. And I like and I like his. I like his visual style and the performances that he gets out of people most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, never, I, I don't think he's like the strongest storyteller in the world, but I, but I think most of the time, like the visuals that he puts in and the, like what he gets out of his actors, is it's enough to compensate most of the time. Like he's had yeah. a couple, of, like some of them, like Alice in Wonderland is like very very guilty pleasure to me like mm-hmm. i know it's just generic fancy thing but i like that it's it's just got a weird design to it and held a mom car is like devouring scenery <laughs> everywhere <laughs> yeah let's yeah. see the other directors i like let's see i'm trying i love david fincher mm-hmm. he's very i like the fact that he's very He's always focused on like story and character, while also pro- being able to provide like really good action when it's like when it when it's there. Mm-hmm. He un- yeah like, he understands like the importance of a, a story. Like mm-hmm. action without a story means nothing. Like why would I care? He yeah I don't think he's made I don't think he's made a bad film. Yeah. Yet. I mean, you know, there there are arguments to be made for Alien Three, but there are also arguments that oh. say, yeah, Alien Three wasn't necessarily his fault either. Oh, actually, <laughs> I I've long avoided seeing Alien Three because of how much people trash it. Yeah, and I keep getting different. And I reached out to another, I reached out to another critic on Twitter. Who, and uh, who he was talking about? And I was like, okay, what version? I haven't seen it yet. What version should I see? And he's like, oh, see the director's cut. And then somebody immediately replied, no, nah, I see the assembly cut. I'm like, okay, I don't know which cut to see. Just I, I will say, I don't dis, I don't hate the movie. I don't dislike the movie. I think it's fine. I think it's, mm-hmm. I think all of the alien movies are fine in their own way. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, the first two are the upper echelon. Yeah. But I mean, I think all of them have value 
to a certain extent uh, in terms of story, in terms of the way they use Ripley, and and just the visual style in them. I mean, I I think Alien, Alien. If you're if you're a fan of that franchise, I I think Alien Three is certainly worth watching, and you know, just kind of realize. You know, the the thing to keep in mind is it's like, you know, that wasn't necessary. The reason that didn't work is not necessarily Fincher's fault. It's because <laughs> Fox has a tendency to interfere too much with movies, with yeah. films. <laughs> and they kind of, yeah, and I, I've, oh yeah, I know the story behind Aliens. He had like one of the worst productions ever. They kept switching the script around. They didn't know what they wanted to do. And I mean, see, I understand it has a troubled history. Yeah. But something even more bizarre, something even weirder than that to me is that now the Xenomorph can get an I Want song. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to imagine, like, what the Disney head is thinking. Like, okay, how are we, okay, so are we going to continue Prometheus or not? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, like, what, it, it, what's weird about that is like I've seen the first two Alien movies. I know what happens in the sequels. I didn't. I didn't really get on the high train for Prometheus, and I heard mixed things about it. I rented Alien Covenant with my cousin one night, and I watched, and I was like, okay. This, I thought it was a fun, like it was a fun, like action sci-fi yeah. horse. Horse, like, yeah. like, like, because because I don't know because like I'm not as heavily invested like in the in the lore of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't come away with the reaction of you ruined the thing by revealing too much about the alien. I was like, okay, like that is like I'm sorry, you're gonna complain about that when you've got like weird Michael Shannon or I'm sorry, uh, Mike, Michael uh, man, Michael Fassbender oh, robot. Yeah. And, oh my God. When it got to that point, I was like, Oh, <laughs> Oh wow. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Why? Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. I also kind of, I'm trying to think of other filmmakers that I admire. Oh yeah, I admire Martin Scorsese as much as he's kind of like a. I think he's kind of a. He's. I think when he hits, he hits big, and when he misses, it's always like it's at least interesting and well made, mm-hmm. if not perfect. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, you know, going back to Burton for a little bit, it's like Tim mm-hmm. Burton is interesting because of the fact that. To a certain extent, I feel like he's ever since like the early two thousands. I mean, really, even late two thousand, late nineties, if you want to include Sleepy Hollow with it. Yeah. And ever since he's kind of started to do more reboots and reimaginings and stuff like that, has been basically his bread and butter. It's. He, it feel, and especially his long collaboration with Johnny Depp. I, oh God! I, I feel like I feel like he's kind of atrophied as a filmmaker in terms of his his yeah. style and the types of movies he makes. Yeah, he definitely. Yeah, I definitely remember like growing up during that. You know Johnny Depp and uh, Tim Burton collab period, where they're doing every single movie together, 
And I mean, I en- you know, I enjoy him, but yeah, it is kind of interesting to look at his filmography. And he starts out with Beetlejuice, and it's like, okay, this is this is really fun. Batman, I I dig, you know. And then it's like he hits Ed Wood, and he makes you know Mars Attacks isn't great, which doesn't do very well. And like after Sleepy Hollow, it, it was almost like, okay, so I need to do one blockbuster because you know just commercial. I need to do one movie like a smaller thing because i'm burning on blockbusters and now i'm gonna work with johnny depp for the next seven years yeah basically <laughs> and like and, and, it, and it's also funny too like him and helena bottom carter were married at that time yeah and you can like, you can definitely kind of inf- i feel like you can kind of infer that by the prominent role, by the, like the prominence that she has, and mm-hmm. I, and things like she's a, I think she's a really really great actress, yeah. And she throws herself into every single role that she gets, but it is it is interesting to like watch him work with the same two actors, yeah, over and over. And now his new muse seems to be Eva Green, yeah. She's also <laughs> doing really like. Like she's doing very, I think she's doing really great in the things that she's been in with him, and I mean even in Dumbo, which I think is like the most fascinating misfire of his career. Yeah, <laughs> because like again, Dumbo was one of those weird things where again, like it was one of those Disney classics that I grew up as. Like I, I saw, I didn't love it as a kid. I mean, I, I liked it okay, but I wasn't like, it's a classic. So I went into the live-action remake being like, okay, so I don't, like, not really having the bias of how dare you touch my childhood right. with this. I went in like, look, I look, man, I had, and I, I had seen the animated one by that point. I'm like, okay, look, it's a, it's a good movie, but I'm interested to see what they do. And I thought that all of the ideas they present – are interesting, but mm-hmm. they're just not developed at all. They're like, yeah. okay, idea, <laughs> idea, idea. And I'm like, okay, so where's the meat of this? Where do you flesh these out? Right. These are all great. Why are you rushing through <laughs> them? Right. No, and and that's it. yeah. And Dumbo is fascinating because of the fact that a it shifts the focus away from Dumbo. Oh yeah. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Like the first time, I, the first time I saw it, yeah, I, I saw it in the theater and I was like, um, well, is Dumbo is not, not the main character in this yeah. at all. Like he, he's, I mean, he, he's a, he's an important character, but, and okay. To be fair, I don't know how you could have made that movie in right. live action from his perspective. So, like, it was going to have to have a human focus on, right. which is fine. But I just wish that the humans they had focused on were not the little kids. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like, the the actress who plays the little girl, like, I thought she was very, very terrible. <laughs> um, and her personality being, like, science, I'm like, um... Uh huh. Yeah. In nineteen ten, and everyone's gonna be super accepting of your outspoken opinions. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. From a child. <laughs> um, however, I do get I do get a kick out of Michael Keaton in it and his ever shifting accent. <laughs> like when he first comes on, he's doing like this this kind of French sounding thing, <laughs> and then he just kind of drops it and sounds southernish, and then by the end, he's almost into like Beetlejuice territory, <laughs> and you're like. What? Yeah. I'm happy you're having such a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, it's like that. I think Keaton's character is what really derails it at the end because oh. it's like all of a sudden he's he's like he's been really smart and conniving and manipulative uh, throughout yeah. this entire thing, and yeah. all of a sudden he's acting like a fool. Oh it's yeah, him. like yeah, like <laughs> the entire third act. I was like, oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> Why are you keeping his mom in Scary yeah. Island over there? Yeah. <laughs> like, wouldn't, like, from a business perspective, if you let the elephant see his mom, he will fly for you. You can still exploit him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, it's ironic. It's everyone who's ever seen the movies come at this like It's very ironic that the Disney company of all people essentially used it to make a movie about the danger of the big conglomerates yeah. like overtaking a little bit. You see like like Michael King's being like the, the owner of Disney World in that. Oh yeah. And it's seeing Disney World burn to the ground as an image where I was like I'm I what? This is I I mean okay it's better than the crows. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I, I think you, I think you nailed it. It's like it is, arguably his most fascinating misfire, and that is one of the ideas that makes it so fascinating. That's like Disney would allow a remake of one of their most beloved films that essentially is criticizing Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even like that, that movie was released during like the like the Disney Fox merger was still kind of going yeah. on. Like it hadn't been completed yet. It was still like up in the air. I think it was either going to be Disney or Comcast or HMT, one of those two. Yeah. But, but yeah, it was up in the air. And so, yeah, it is kind of interesting that nobody at the studio saw the final cut and realized what <laughs> it was saying. Yeah. Um, and I guess like in terms of other like, fascinating misfires I guess return to Peter Jackson his fascinating misfire for me is the lovely bones I I I actually so I actually read the book the lovely bones before the movie came out I actually mm-hmm. I like the movie I do think Mark Wahlberg is horribly oh. miscast in oh the movie. my god um, <laughs> but uh, otherwise I mean there's a lot that I really like about that movie too but yeah, it's it's definitely, it, it, and especially since he hasn't really done anything since other than well, the Hobbit movies. But um, I mean, but and yeah, I think that like I've never read the book, but like as far as far as like the movie goes, I felt like I felt like he was. He doesn't really know how to emotionally balance it. Yeah. 
like in the beginning, everything is so bright and upbeat and golly gee, like the mm-hmm. the the best, like the happiest feeling, which is which you know is fine. But it, like the first time I watched it, I was like, all right, even if I didn't. It kind of introduces that thing of okay, something bad has to happen if their lives are this good. Yeah. And when it does, when something bad does happen, it the fantasy element in it is very awkward and doesn't make a ton of like sense. Yeah. And I'm guessing that that is better, much better explained in the book. Yeah, and and I mean, admittedly, I will admit it's tough. Because of the fact that it's like the whole the whole point, you don't want the movie to be because of what the primary instigating action is in that movie. You don't want it to be grim all the way through, and I think that's no. One of, that's one of the hardest things about translating that book to film is because yeah, of the fact that it's like. How do I make this not just absolutely depressing as all get out? Well, <laughs> at a at a wine swinging Susan Sarandon, that's how. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that, but yeah, I think Mark, yeah, Mark, yeah, Mark Wahlberg and that, like, I know he or apparently like he replaced Ryan Gosling yeah. because Gosling showed up to the set. Like super overweight, and he had a beard, and Peter Jackson and him had very different ideas about how the character was supposed to be. And I kind of wish that Gosling had stayed. Yeah. Because I, I don't, I really love Mark Wahlberg. In that movie, I think that I feel like he is very Mister. I feel like he's misdirected. Yeah. Because like the way that the character is written, I don't think is really is that bad. But like the way that he acts, it is kind of like, hey, come on, the snow globe. Like, uh, like <laughs> your daughter's fourteen. Yeah, <laughs> it, it comes off as it comes off as unnecessarily awkward on yeah. his part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious when I'm curious when Peter Jackson's gonna actually direct a major feature again. It's like I I hope he would get I I'd like to hope he would get to do his Tintin movie, but I mean I I feel I worry that that ship is kind of sailed, unfortunately. Yeah, because didn't they do didn't they didn't Steven Spielberg make a Tintin movie a, f- a few years ago? Well, yeah, it was an, it was well, an animated thing. So, so, so the idea was Spielberg. Spielberg directed the first one, and Peter Jackson produced the first one. Then they were gonna mm. flip. Then they were gonna flip uh, roles on a second one, mm-hmm. and then I'm not sure what the third. I, I can't remember what how they were gonna do the third one, but. Yeah, so they were basically going to flip roles on the second one, but yeah, I guess because of the fact that the second, the first one didn't really it hit, didn't connect. It, I mean, uh, I yeah, I guess yeah. It, that ship has kind of sailed. Unfortunately. And like, and I, I mean, I tried watching it. Like, it was on Netflix a few years back. I tried watching it. I'm not a huge fan of the all motion capture animation style. Right. Like, I really, no, I really, like, the only, I think the only 
times I've liked it to an extent. The only time I thought it was like mostly it was like I liked it in Monster House and I liked it in the Christmas Carol thing. Yeah. Like I thought those two were those two were good mm-hmm. with it, but yeah, I started watching Tintin and it felt like it honestly felt like a video game cutscene to me in the way that it was in the way that it was done. And I, it was just, I couldn't really get into it just because of how, I guess, like, weird it looked. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I, I, that, that's perfectly, I, I was thoroughly entertained by Tintin, but yeah, I mean, especially with, like, like you said, with the motion cap, full motion capture, uh, computer animation, that's, that's always a tricky thing because, you have that uncanny valley with the human characters that tends to happen. I mean, you definitely see it in Polar Express and Beowulf. And oh, yeah, Christmas, yeah, Christmas Carol, Carol was actually a really decent... I mean, by that point, Zemeckis had really done a good job in sort of perfecting that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, with, with uh, Tintin, I mean, going... The fact that it goes more into the cartoonish aspects of the world—it's like, yeah, I can, I I can see why Tintin would not necessarily work for people. I mean, yeah. Uh, so who, so who are some of your favorite directors? Um, Spielberg. Spielberg's my all-time director. I mean, that's mm-hmm. he—he's somebody I've really come to. Admiring, although it's funny because of the fact that I think I, I think I, it, as much as I love his early stuff like Jaws and Rares of Lost Ark, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jurassic Park and stuff like that, it's really basically his stuff since, uh, like AI on that I'm mm-hmm. more interested in. I I'm more interested in the way he's he's developed as a storyteller since, I mean, really since Schindler's List, but in particular this past 20 years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the way he uses science fiction in movies like AI and Minority Report and War of the Worlds to talk about ideas. And uh, he, he's, he's my favorite filmmaker when it comes to science fiction. I love his science fiction work. Um, Scorsese's another one that I really enjoy, I really love. Uh, Andrei Tarkovsky, um, Kubrick. Oh, yes. I love him, too. He's, a, he's one of a kind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Like, I remember... So, when I was in... I was in college... When I was in college... Like I would, you know, I would stay up with my friends watching movies and stuff. So we decided to have, we decided to have like a Stanley Kubrick a thon, mm-hmm. and so we went, we went through the night from like Clockwork Orange to The Shining to 2001, yeah. and it was, and, it, and oh man, what, oh man, I cannot, the can't stop worrying, love the. Um, oh, Doctor I mean, Strange Love. Doctor Strange Love, yes. Yeah. And I was, and I was sitting there going, like, I can't believe these were made by the same guy. They have, they're not even the, they're so different from each other. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, 
Well, and the funny thing about uh, Kubrick is, as 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 different as as different as the types of stories he told were, like once you once you really dive into his work, you start to see that directorial voice come yeah. through. Like, and yeah, I mean, it's it's weird to think that he did Doctor Strange Love. 2001 and Clockwork Orange all back to back to back. Oh, God. oh, <laughs> that that must have been like the. I, I cannot imagine how they would have marketed them. Like, from the director of Doctor Strange, while this wacky political satire comes a slow, philosophical, thoughtful <laughs> sci-fi film. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and yeah, Kubrick, Kubrick is somebody I've I've really come to appreciate over the years. I actually just rewatched uh, 2001 myself uh, on my 4K, and it's God, such a stunning movie. It's such a remarkable movie. I love that. Um, but yeah, he he's somebody who's he he's somebody who's been very influential to me both as an appreciator on film as well as actually a composer because I when I was I was starting to get into watching his work when I was starting to compose around 98 99 mm -hmm. and so the soundtracks for his movies really had an impact on me and so I I would sort of in I was inspired by those soundtracks in the types of music that I would write. And so it's it's funny because like he he he's somebody who even though he's not a musician, the way he uses music music has always been inspiring to me as a composer. So yeah, like the way that he and music and, and music in film is something that I pay attention to as well. Yeah. To where like I think that uh, I think that a movie's score is a really undervalued aspect of it sometimes. Mm -hmm. To where like you can get you can get a really big emotional reaction out of an audience mixing like sounds and images with you know with the like with the music together, or knowing when to use just silence and allow the images to speak for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's one of the things that really stands out with regards to Kubrick in particular in 2000, or Kubrick especially in 2001 in particular, and really even The Shining, the way, oh, yes. not only the way he uses existing classical music, but also when he doesn't use music. Yeah, like when he, like the, the, the score to The Shining is like one of the creepiest things ever yeah. composed by anyone. Mm -hmm. And I mean, 2001, it's very like, the score for that, I mean, I mean, what need be said? Like it's one of the most iconic things ever made. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really like, uh, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of Danny Elfman's scores, mm -hmm. even though like some, I think some of them in the past like maybe five years haven't been as memorable. Yeah. But like when he, but like when he hits it, he's really, really good. Oh yeah, 
Like, I love the score for, I love his scores. The first few Spider-Man movies, you know, most of his Tim Burton scores are, are good. I mean, I, I, I really like the kind of like the brash, huge operatic approach that he seems to take a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And he knows how to have like, he knows how to make like quieter scenes work too. When he, like when he chooses. Yeah. No, in in yeah, Elfman Elfman is definitely a favorite composer of mine. Um, have you seen uh, Ang Lee's Hulk? Oh, uh, actually, yes i I have seen that, and I I'm I get why people don't like it. Yeah, I I actually I like it despite its flaws. Yeah. Like it was one I, of the it's yeah it's one of those things to me where. Like again, I, I saw it as a kid, and I was really bored. Like, okay, I remember like watching it over at my buddy's house. Like when I used to have sleepovers over there. Like the first time I saw it, I was sitting there going, "Like, when is the when is the Hulk going to show up? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Why do they keep doing this thing that look this this panels on the screen? Like it was a <laughs> weird experience. Cause, like I you know like I had seen Spider Man a bunch of times, so I was like. This isn't what Spider-Man is. Yeah. This isn't even what Daredevil. This isn't Daredevil. Like, what is is going on? And as I got older, I was like, okay, I like the, I like the approach of taking it more as a sci-fi drama than an action movie. Yeah. No, I I really like that too. And yeah, I. But I mentioned Hulk because I really do. I I really do love Danny Elfman's score for that. Yeah, that score for that I think is one of its absolute best aspects because it's very it's very moody, very like it's very very mournful throughout. Like and like and so much so like to the point where when the when the action beats do happen and it perks up a little bit mm-hmm. you're kind of thrown off guard because so much of the movie is is very very, very downbeat and so you get these action scenes that are big and fun and so you kind of have to readjust mm-hmm. yourself yeah no it, it's 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 probably i don't know i don't know if i would put it up in my top five favorite scores of his but it's definitely up there as far as one of my favorites, and I, it's funny because of the fact that a, a friend of mine and I, um, he he made a, a short film that I wrote the music for, and we were we were talking about the, we we were talking about the music, and he won something sort of inspired by Bernard Herrmann and stuff like that, and we we started to think we started to talk about that score for. Uh, Hulk that Elfman had done because er, there are elements of uh, they're very it, it does feel like there are very distinct uh, references reference points to Bernard Herman's score for Vertigo in that that score and so that was really fun to uh, re-listen to that score during that process and uh, just just sort of sort of listen to sort of what he was doing in his inspiration from uh Bernard Herman. So Yeah, and I mean and I and I think that 
I was like, superhero movies are probably like one of my favorite genres. Mm-hmm. Just in general, like, I own a ton of them. You know, I I decided to get Disney Plus because apparently we need to now to understand the movies, <laughs> which I don't. Like, I get it from a business point of view. But you're going to lose people so fast with yeah. that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that. Yeah, as far as I think a superhero score is really important, especially now since there's like so many of them, Mm -hmm. you need to have a distinctive, memorable theme. Yeah. To like go stand out. Like I think Wonder Woman has that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Man of Steel has that. Mm -hmm. You know, I would even argue Kick Ass has that. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while since I've seen Kick Ass, so I need to I need to watch that again. Yeah, it's I, I like I like both of them. Like I get why people I get like they're not to everyone's taste. Yeah. Like I like I totally understand that. But I don't know, I just I just really enjoy them as like just kind of fun superhero action comedies. Mm-hmm. Like nothing. And then. Yeah. Well, um, I I think this might be a pretty good place to wrap up this time, and uh, I because I I definitely would like to, I I definitely like to continue this conversation at some point, especially film music. I can mm-hmm. talk about film music uh, is a, a long time because it is my favorite genre of music to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this this is a pretty good place to. Uh, stop right now and uh kevin thank you very much for joining me yeah thank you thank you so much for inviting me hopefully hopefully when the the hopefully you know maybe we can meet up sometime when the theaters reopen whenever that is yeah definitely uh yeah i i definitely want to do that at some point because of the fact that i want to meet some of these people that are in our general area that you know i i converse with online it's like oh it'd be nice to get together and actually watch a movie as oh as yeah talking to them online so oh yeah like 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 when i fit like like when we had that moment where when i had that moment it was like oh my goodness some of you guys live in atlanta how far away are you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well theaters are not going to be opening up anytime soon so unfortunately uh, yeah i mean it's I'm I'm actually kind of relieved because of the fact that it's like when when that uh when when Kemp's order uh came came over it's like uh it's a it's a little it's a little it's a little question I think it's a little bit questionable um yeah it, it's a little bit I mean we'll see how it goes yeah. but yeah like on the face of it and I, I'm not like I'm not gonna like uh, like throw on the guy or anything, but like, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully yeah. it'll, it'll turn out, hopefully it'll turn out for the best. Yeah. But the funny thing is it's like, Oh yeah. On Monday theaters can open. And it's like, yeah, no theaters are playing on opening on Monday. And like, no movies are coming out yeah, for exactly. like no three movies. more months now. Yeah, I know there's no movies that are coming out until like July. So I mean, maybe they can start, maybe they can just do like, Repeat feelings of Doolittle again or something. But. Oh wow! Oh no! Uh, oh yeah! I saw that. <laughs> I, I I saw Doolittle in the theater, and I and I sat there going, 
you know, this is on the level of the room. Oh wow! Like I would literally <laughs> compare Doolittle to the room oh, in man. pretty much every aspect. <laughs> and yeah, it's a it's a movie that must be seen <laughs> to be believed. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll get to it at some point. Um, don't don't yeah, don't spend twenty dollars. Wait till it's Lord cheap. No. Oh Lord no no I'll, oh, you know, I'll I'll rent the DVD through Netflix as well. Oh yeah oh yeah um, and that's, oh yeah another the other thing that I find funny about this it's like all of the like all these like I saw people talking about like Trolls World Tour last week and I was like is Trolls World Tour really this this big deal? I know. Look, I, I saw the trailers and I was like, um, okay, oh. uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is an evil troll rocket who wants to kill all music. What? Huh? What is it? Wait, this has a theme? Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll admit, I, I enjoyed the first Trolls. It was fine. Mm. It was good. Yeah. I'm sort of kind of looking forward to the second one. The the thing is, it's like I can't get over my my biggest issue. Part of the reason I haven't done a lot of the VOD movies is that Universal is sticking with this twenty dollar rental for them. Yeah, like, that's just outrageous. Everybody else is just selling them outright. Why not just do that? Yeah, and like yeah, like and I keep getting <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous to or like. I understand, like they they need to make money off of it because they spent like you know, well yeah. like, maybe like two hundred million dollars. I get you need to make money, but and it is technically cheaper than going to the theater. But yeah. at the same time, <laughs> it's like you like the the kids that Trolls World Tour is probably aimed at aren't going to be the ones paying for it. Like the parents are. Yeah, exactly. And so I hope. <laughs> And so I hope that the I hope that it has something in there for like the adults that are going to be watching it with them, because if it doesn't, then I'm going to be wondering like, yeah, why didn't you just release it straight to Netflix like they're doing with the Lovebirds or Amazon? Like, why didn't you release it somewhere, you know, for where you could make money, but not like twenty bucks for? Well, well, the thing is, it's like, well, the thing is, it's like allegedly they've made, de- they made a decent amount of money on the rentals the opening weekend. But it's like, I I have a friend of mine on Facebook who posted a couple when it came out a couple weeks ago, where it's like, oh, they continue her kids continually wanted to watch Trolls World Tour. It's like that's twenty dollars a rental. Oh, like, let them buy it at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, really, it's kind of, and again, like, it was, well, it was fun with, like, the things that I heard, and I haven't seen, like, I haven't done any of the VOD things, nor do I really plan to at this point. Yeah. But, like, the things that I was seeing about it, like, from, from critics that I trust were, like, it's a, apparently, like, it's a story that encourages, like, diversity in music, and it meant a lot. Apparently, it meant a lot to, like, you know, POC and just, like, more, like, diverse communities, which I was like, that's awesome. I wish that that message was in a movie that didn't have, like, (laughs) little baby rapping troll 
nipples doing <laughs> like I, I wish it, that method was in a movie that I wanted to see. I know, right? <laughs> like I totally support that method. We need yeah. diversity in music, but why is it in Trolls Two that this is the? Why do they feel safe putting in Trolls Two, but not a movie that will have broader appeal? Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, it's like at, at a certain point, like we're we're coming up on May here, and it's like I would imagine most of these movies are gonna start like actually being made available for sale and general rent anyway through just by the fact that you know that three month window that normally is the case with theatrical releases to via to streaming services. And so it's like, okay, that once once the rentals are down to like five, six bucks a dollar, okay, you might be able to get me a little bit more. But it's like not at twenty dollars a pop. Yeah, and then like yeah, like like and another example of that is like like Amazon like Amazon Prime was advertising onward, like rent onward for twenty bucks. I'm like, no, I know onward's coming on Disney Plus for free in six days. Why would I do that? Oh, yeah, exactly. That, I, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm not bothering with VOD. It's like I'm not bothering buying on VOD. I'm just gonna wait for Disney Plus to have it. Yeah, um, and <laughs> and and like that was actually the last movie that I saw in the theater before it, before like, they all shut down. And so, I mean, I am interested to see it again. And like, see if it, yeah. how much it holds up on a second time. I uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed yeah. it onward. I thought it was a good movie. I mean, so. I I was kind of, I was initially frustrated with. I mean, I'm forgetting the, uh, what's his name? It's, it's Ian and what's the brother? What's Chris Pratt's name? Oh man! Bar, bar, um, bar, barley, barley, barley. I was initially it. I was initially frustrated with Barley's characterization and just like how over the top he was. Yeah. But then when they revealed like when they revealed what the point behind all was, I was like, "That's actually really smart." <laughs> So smart that I had absolutely no idea you were heading that way until you pulled that. Right. And also, like, the first 15 minutes of it, it reminded me very much of a Goofy movie. <laughs> Only the, Max and Goofy were replaced with the, the two brothers. <laughs> but I kept I kept waiting for Ian to start seeing After Two Days or something <laughs> on the quad. <laughs> But yeah, I thought. But yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was really good. Probably one of the, probably one of the better things Pixar has made recently. That's yeah. not like a sequel thing. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm 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 glad to see that supposedly they're getting away from sequels now, and I, uh, so. Yeah. I, yeah, I believe that. I believe that they said. After Toy Story Four, they're no longer doing sequels. Which I'm fine I be- with. <laughs> I, I'm fine with it. And I, I li- I've liked. Okay, I, outside of Cars Three, I've liked all of the kind of like sequels to stuff from your childhood. That mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I'm not. I like the first Cars. Okay, Cars Two is 
a, a thing and Cars 3 is another thing. But I like the sequels outside of that. Um, I don't think any of them are as as good as the original ones, mm-hmm. but I mean, they're, they're not bad and they do their jobs well enough. I'm just what now I'm just going like in eight years, are we going to get brave too? Yeah. <laughs> like, like the, the, the window where you can have a sequel to a movie widens every year. It seems mm-hmm. like when they, I remember when they announced Blade Runner 2049, I was like, wait, didn't the first one come out in 1982? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. That, <laughs> wow. Like Tron was the same way, mm-hmm. where like, yeah, like that was something I liked. I liked the sequel better than the original one. Mm-hmm. I like the the first. I like that the, the first one is like. I like the cheesiness of the original one, but Tron Legacy to me is kind of like. I like the story a little bit more, and the yeah. visuals are vastly <laughs> updated. Even though Jeff Bridges' de aging is kind of creepy looking yeah. in some places <laughs> um yeah and i and now i keep and now i keep on i also keep on waiting for like there's a shot where olivia wilde is like laying on the couch or mm-hmm. something in in jeff bridges apartment or his little dojo or wherever it is yeah. and i keep waiting for somebody to make a meme of like i do i'm gonna direct book smart in eight years oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm happy that Olivia Wilde is like kind of that she had that because I went, I went into that. I guess, like this will be the last place that we go to, guys. But like, I went into Booksmart. Like I'd, read, I'd seen the critic scores. I saw the trailer. I was like, this looks like super bad, but with girls. Like, yeah. what, what's the point? Like, and I'm not the. I don't really like super bad that much. Mm-hmm. I like Seth Rogen, and that I love Seth Rogen and all the, like the point great stuff. Like, I love that humor. Super bad is one of those where it didn't work with me. Booksmart, I thought was better because I liked the characters a lot more. I yeah. could relate to them. Yeah. They weren't. They didn't feel as like the the two lead girls didn't feel as much like over the top mm-hmm. in their personalities. And I also liked the I also liked the way that it approached. Uh, Caitlin Deaver's character like realizing her sexuality and it didn't it didn't like overplay it didn't make it seem like we're an important movie we're, for doing this they just they just played it out like any other relationship in a movie yeah which I think is the way that they should be played like people right. like to think people are like how do we do this gay thing I was like D- just do it like you would a straight relationship only exactly. it's the same gender like that is exactly. it that's all you need to do <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like not not every book, not every movie has to be Brokeback Mountain or something like that. Just yeah, like, <laughs> let it happen naturally. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, like when it's like whenever one and the other thing is like whenever like a gay character in a movie, like the studios pump it up and it's like you like they oversell the prominence of that aspect of oh, them. God, yeah, to where you're like. Okay, it's cool you have this, but it's not like and Onward did that too yeah. with the cop. Like they sold that. I was like, wow, that <laughs> I cannot believe that that has controversy on it. I know, right? 
<laughs> no, it's 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 absurd. It it really is absurd. It's like, why, why can we not? Why can't we just, just do this? <laughs> yeah, like, just yeah, like, and I like that some of these new comedies be kind of doing it. Like, oh man, what way was that? Blockers also handled it well, mm-hmm. like in that aspect. Um, but yeah, I'm yeah, I'm interested to see how like Hollywood kind of transitioned in the new decade into the, into like showing that and not making a humongous deal out of just normalizing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like the same thing, like with what's going on with like Jordan Peele and his mm-hmm. stuff. It's like the reason get out and us were beloved was because he made like, he made movies that were about like universally relatable characters and ideas, despite you know those, despite the issues they raised being more specifically about like a certain segment of the population. Yeah. Like I, the way that he approaches them, and I preferred us to get out because I thought it was less. Like when Get Out, like when Get Out gets on its thing about like this is what the movie's about. I feel like it kind of it derails a little bit. Mm-hmm. I thought us was very good about like including those themes while still being like a satisfying, yeah. really scary yeah. horror thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. And it, it's, it's funny because of the fact that, yeah, it, yeah, it's funny. Like get out is ostensibly a horror movie, but at the same time, it's, it, once once they get into the quote unquote horror aspect of it, it doesn't really get as scary so much. Yeah, you know, and that, that that's the thing. Like it's not I mean, it is I think it I think it's it's scary enough and it is it is like it is creepy. I think it's a really as far like debut features go, it's yeah. really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, but like I think that I feel like he kind of took some feedback from that when he made us and realized like, I don't need to hammer in my points so hard. Like I can just kind of put just kind of weave them throughout organically into the narrative of it and, you know, be, be stronger. I think, I'm interested to see where his. I'm interested to see like where his career heads and what he yeah. does. I I hope that uh, the Candyman movie he's producing is good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's a yeah. He I'm not gonna say he's like one of my favorite filmmakers because he doesn't have a ton of stuff yet. But he's very. Yeah. He's definitely like a guy that I want to. He's definitely a guy that I'm watching. Yeah, I definitely I I definitely agree with that. I mean, I I love Keen Peele. It's like I was a big fan of Keen Peel. And so the idea that he started he transitioned into genre movies and even genre TV with the Twilight Zone to sort of deal with, you know, social aspects, it's like, okay, this this guy's really this guy there's more to peel than you uh you expect. Yeah, and I especially like I wasn't a huge fan of uh, their movie Keanu when yeah. I saw it. I was kind of like, I saw it and I, I like Key and Peel to me is kind of like hit and miss. Like I think the substitute teacher sketch is probably one of the funniest things they've ever done. Yeah. 
but like when I saw uh, when I saw Keanu, I, I kind of walked out of it being like, uh, these guys should stay on TV. <laughs> and so, point? so like, so like when I when Get Out was being promoted, I'm like from Jordan Peele, I'm like, wait. Uh, Oh great, the, the sketch guy. Okay, <laughs> I'm like, and I'm like, oh my god, this is an actual movie with a script and a story, and they're not improving all over the place. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's it's funny because of the fact that you know Keanu reminds me a lot in 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 it it kind of reminds me a lot of Basketball, the movie that. Uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone of South Park. I have not. I haven't seen it, but I've heard. I've I've heard of it. Like I, I know that it's critically reviled. Yeah, I enjoy it. I I think it's a fun movie. But the thing is, the the thing about it is, it's like you can tell that it's not necessarily their particular voice. They were just acting in it. And that I sort of look at Keanu sort of that way too, where it's like it's not necessarily them; it's just th- them doing their persona in somebody else's movie. Yeah. And so that's sort of the same way I look at Keanu. I look at that the way I look at uh, basketball because I mean, I, one once you look at like South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, Team America, and stuff like that, it's like oh, that's very definitely their voice. Oh yeah, like their <laughs> their fingerprints are all over both of those. Yeah. Like they're very, and they do have a very distinctive. I think they have a they have a very distinctive voice and kind of oh, yeah. style of style of shock humor mm-hmm. that others have attempted to imitate to not great results. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I hope. But yeah, I I do hope that the new Candyman is good. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be sure to highlight that Nia DaCosta is the director of <laughs> this thing, even if the ads won't. <laughs> like yeah, because I, I was sitting there, I was watching, I was saw the trailer. I'm like, um, hey, there's a director attached to this, and Jordan Peele is not their name. <laughs> uh, and I was like, I love the original Candyman. Like that's another one of my favorite horror things. Because of how I think it's I think it's really relevant now, which is why I'm going into the new one excited but a little skeptical of like what are you gonna do to update this? Like basically like how are you gonna justify this thing's existence yeah. now when the first one still speaks a lot about things that are going on now. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest. It's like Candyman is one of those sort of, uh, one of those blind spots for me when it comes to my horror movie watching. So I have, but I know it's on net. The, the original is on Netflix. So I'm definitely going to be checking it out here at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, but yeah, I mean, I, I watched the trailer for, uh, Neil Dick or, Nia, Nia DeCosta, Nia I think is the direction. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, I, I do think the one like kind of unintentionally funny scene in the trailer is like when you've got this like the five random girls staying in the bathroom just saying it <laughs> m- m- like monotonely, like, what 
is the setup like what's the like how does the movie get there like yeah. why would you why would like how is a scene like that going to work like how are we going to get there because <laughs> <laughs> they can imagine like they would spread the story around and people wouldn't want to do it mm-hmm. but yeah th- thank you so much again for having me having me on this is really enjoyable Oh, no problem. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would like to, you know, come back at some point, you know, in the near future and talk film music with you because I, it's like I said, it was, it's my favorite genre. And yeah, I mean, I, I always enjoy talking uh, film soundtracks, but yeah, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah. Thank you. And again, my, I am a, you can find me on kevinthecritic.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'd like to thank Kevin Thomas for joining me on the uh, podcast. Again, you can find him at kevinthecritic.com. And uh, he's also on Twitter. And I do shout him out on uh, my Follow Friday uh, Twitter posts. And uh, we we do have some really entertaining conversations. And there are a few other People from Twitter wouldn't mind uh, getting on here, so you might see might see more uh, podcasts with uh, some of my uh, the people I really enjoy interacting with and uh, on Twitter. Uh, that's it for me for the Sonic Cinema podcast. I've got a lot more coming up, including uh, the Rise of Skywalker. Uh, looking forward to that discussion. We're gonna have the same group that we had. Uh, for our two and a half hour marathon uh, breakdown and discussion on The Last Jedi. So I'm looking forward to that. For now, uh, check me out on patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema, the Sonic Cinema podcast YouTube channel. Thank you for getting us to 100 subscribers. It really means a lot. And that's it for me. For... Uh, This is Brian Scuttle, and uh, check me out on www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank you.